direction or changing your life, it just it can be so daunting. But oftentimes what happens is in the different areas of life, that pressure builds and it mounts. And it's at those times that we're willing to look at what change can bring. And so today, as we talk about change, we're also going to be talking about the fact that Jesus Christ, who rose from the dead and what we celebrate today, that is really the hope that we have for lasting change that's not temporary, but that can actually make a difference from here on out. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. And I want to just kind of give you a sense of where we're going to be heading the next few weeks. And there's really three different parts we're going to look at in this series. The first part is what's God's part in changing us? And we're going to be talking today about the power that He provides. So as we connect with God, as we get to know Him better, even as we choose to do life His way, how does His power actually make a difference in us so that we can change? Uh, next week, we're going to talk talking about my part. And what are the key ingredients that I need to do to cooperate with God so that change can happen? And if you're like me, Again, that thought of getting unstuck is something that, that can be overwhelming or you may just feel like, oh, something has got to give. And so next week we're going to be talking about what are things that we can do that actually get unstuck. And then the last week, two weeks from now, we're going to be talking about our part in the community. And how does change work in the context of a group of people, specifically the church? How does change happen as we are in community with people here at Church in the Valley? And so I hope you can join us for the rest of this series. It should be a, a valuable time looking into what the Bible has to say about the change process. Over the next few weeks, we're also going to be looking at really a story of someone from our church who has experienced the change that comes from turning to God and doing life his way. This is really a, a narrative that you're going to see the next few weeks broken into different parts. And so you're going to be hearing in just a moment from Ian Dale. Ian is a, a longtime member of Church in the Valley. He helps out in our kid ministry. Uh, if you look at the front of your program, and if you look at some of the artwork that we have on the screens, that's Ian Dale's work. He's an artist. He's tremendous at what he does. He really is a blessing to Church in the Valley. But more important than just his, his talents and skills as an artist, he really is going to be sharing the difference that God has made in his life. And so I want you to cue into this first one as he talks about how God has, has changed him from the inside out. Let's watch that together. When I was about nine years old, I just totally rejected the idea of God. Um, I'd grown up going to church with my family, but from that point on, I just, you know, I, I kept going, but I, I just pretty much checked out. As I got to college, I, I had more opportunities to begin to really examine my beliefs. Um, you know, I was an atheist. I didn't believe that there was a God. So I guess that also meant that um, there was just no overall purpose to my life. There was nothing that was really right or wrong in a moral sense. Um, being a, an overachiever, that was kind of freeing in a way. Um, it meant that there was no mark that I could miss. <laughs> so, you know, that uh, for a while, I, I kind of liked that idea. Um, but overall, over time, it began to really feel more empty, I guess. I've always been really interested in art, uh, drawing, painting, animation, all kinds of stuff. And so that, that part of my life kind of moved to the center. It filled a gap where I was lacking in some other kind of purpose. And uh, it really became the source of my identity and my self-worth. Uh, at times I would have success and that was great, uh, but I'd also get frustrated a lot when I failed to meet my ambitious goals. And uh, it, it just, over time, it proved to be a really shaky foundation upon to, which to base my self-worth. Uh, 
uh, over time, uh, I just began to just really question things as I was growing up and as I was facing more uh, of the difficulties and just how complicated life is as an adult. I just started to wonder, is this really worth it? You know, if I, if I don't have a purpose, if, you know, one day I'm going to die and this is all over, then, you know, why is it even worth struggling with this stuff right now? Um, you know, why bother? As time passed, I, I began to doubt my atheism. Uh, circumstances had just been humbling me and I started to be open to explore other possibilities. I came across uh, a lot of books that was, were really helping me to rethink some of my ideas. Uh, a few books really showed me that there was actually a lot of good evidence that you know, there was a God and, and even evidence, specific evidence that gave uh, likelihood that Jesus was who he said he was. Um, eventually, as I was reading, I became convinced. Um, I, I believed that there was a God and I believed that Jesus was the way. So to the best I understood at that time, I committed myself to be a follower of Jesus. Um, I was a Christian. Who, who would have known? Um, that summer, my life began to change very rapidly. My whole outlook was just totally different. Suddenly, I, I had a purpose. Um, I believed that people mattered. I believed that our choices matter. And uh, I knew that I wasn't alone, that there was a God who loved me. So just, all this totally, uh, totally changed my perspective and um, I also began to understand that there were certain sin patterns in my life that were not only wrong, but they were actually harmful to me. Um, that new understanding just really gave a lot more motivation. And I was I'm looking back, I'm pretty amazed. There, there were a few things that were particularly harmful that God just gave me the power to give up pretty much right away. Uh, you know, most change in my life hasn't been like that. A lot, a lot of it's uh, you know, much more of a, a struggle and a process, and God continues to work with me to this day. Uh, but in those particular areas, I'm just really thankful that somehow God gave the power to drop um, drop some of those things that really would have been a hindrance as I tried to start this new life um, walking with Him. Appreciate Ian sharing. He he basically is describing this supernatural help that he got as he began to do life God's way. And as we talk about change, uh, as you see that, just that personal experience that Ian shared, he's, he's saying, really, I, I, I didn't have purpose. And as I turned to God, I, I found it. And I didn't really have a strong foundation, although he was a phenomenal artist and he had really built this kind of world of art to, to build his life on, he realized that, that it was a shaky foundation. It couldn't really carry the weight of the problems he was facing or the choices that he was making. And so in that account, you get this sense of there is deep change that happens as you cooperate with God. And that, that's really the kind of change that we're talking about throughout this series. Uh, we can change outfits and we can change where we live and we can change a lot of things, but we're not talking about really things on the outside. We're talking about how do we change on the inside. And the change that God desires from us is actually a change of heart. It's to change us at the core of who we are. And you and I both are actually directed by the desires of our heart. Our heart is like our GPS system. It determines where we go. It has kind of what we value, what we see as important. And our heart tells us you, you need to go in this direction and you need to go about it in this way. And we listen to our heart. And oftentimes, as we listen to our heart, we get to a destination that our heart has led us to. And oftentimes, we need the change because we realize that, you know what, I think our heart 
it's not really telling us the right way to go. And so in terms of GPS, I don't know if you guys remember the old like Garmin's, uh, but I used to have one of those. This was before cell phones are really big. OK, so you're like, what's a Garmin? It was actually like an external GPS system that you would put on your dashboard and it would still talk to you in like a cool British or Australian accent. You know, you could mess with those and feel like you're in a foreign country. But the bottom line was I had a GPS system. I never updated it. And what I started to realize was my GPS could not be trusted anymore. You'd be going down a, a road and it would say to turn right and there's no street to turn right down. And you begin to get frustrated. And you turn your GPS and it's like, in a moment, make a U-turn. And you're, I can't make a U-turn. And then you know it's bad when you start talking and arguing with your GPS. It's like that, that you know, your carpool buddy that doesn't talk when you want it to talk. And it does talk when you don't. And you just stop it. I can't make a U-turn. And, I, ah! and, and that's what happens. We, we get to this point where we have things in life as well that we base our direction on, and it can be like an outdated GPS system. And that's oftentimes what our heart is. Because of all the things that we experience and the fact that we are a broken people, we need help outside of ourselves. We can't trust what's in our heart. We can't fully trust what's in there. And so the change we're talking about is coming from the fact that God wants to give us a new heart, a new set of directions, a new sense of where we should head in our life. And so as we talk about heart, we're really talking about the need for a new GPS directional system. And as we turn to God, we're asking Him to begin to guide us, opposed to our feelings, opposed to what we grew up with that may make sense to us. We're really asking God, above all else, help me to be guided by you. But it's very difficult to focus on the inside because we can't see it. And there's oftentimes many things that we try to do to change us, not from the inside out, but from the outside in. And I'm just going to mention three. And I think this kind of covers most of our experience with change in our own life. The first is uh, we try to beat ourselves up. If you've made bonehead choices or you've made bad decisions or you've treated somebody bad or you've done something that you just blew it, there's a tendency we all have to just beat ourselves up. That's like, why did I say that? What was I thinking? That was so stupid. And we get mad at ourselves and we feel like if we can get mad enough, maybe we can change. Uh, but that doesn't tend to happen. We just get mad. Uh, the second strategy we try to kind of change from the outside in is, is we, we try to chain our, change our scenery. Maybe you're having a really rough time at work and the, the pressure is mounting and there's stress. And you just think if I can get a new job, it's going to all be better. Or if I can get in a new family, it's all going to be better. Or if I can get in this new relationship, if I can get into a new school, if I can get this new thing. And something to change that we can kind of put our hands on. Some sort of material, some sort of place. And we want to change our scenery. And then the last is, uh, we, we turn to religion or another self-improvement plan. We think if I can get enough practical help, then, then I can change. And if I have enough rules to follow, then I'm going to be okay. And what you find is, again, it's not the rules that you follow, it's not the scenery that you're in, and it's not beating yourselves up, because all those are external. We don't need more rules, what we actually need is a new ruler, and that's God himself. And change flows from him. And here's a, a universal truth for all of us. If we look at our life, we can see the areas that we're not really happy with, we can see the areas that are kind of disappointing to us, where there's stuff lacking. And oftentimes we can see what we need to do 
but we don't have the power to do it. That's been my experience. I see what I need to do, but I don't know how to get there. I don't know how to think differently. I don't know how to act differently. And so I try to come up with a plan and devise a strategy, like the three I've just mentioned, but it doesn't work. And this is where we realize that there's a power outside ourselves found really in the reason that we celebrate Easter, and that's in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not found in any external thing. It's found in Jesus himself. He is the hope that we have. And in fact, our hope for change is wrapped up in Jesus' resurrection. So when we talk about the risen Christ, who was crucified on the cross for our sins, but yet rose again, the fact that he resurrected from the dead, in that we see the power exhibited from God. The power to conquer death, the power to not stay in the tomb, the power that change can actually occur. For what was dead was made alive. And in us, there's things that it's essentially dead. There's things that we're doing that's causing a lot of pain. There's things that we're thinking that's not helpful. And we need the power to overcome it. And throughout Scripture, again and again, you see people that look to the resurrection of Jesus Christ as really the source for change to occur. And so we're going to dig into why, why is that? How does that actually help us? And so I want to dig into a few Scriptures that kind of unpack how does the power of Jesus' resurrection actually help us to change at the heart level. And this is 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So there's this idea that in the resurrection, we have hope that we don't have without it. If Jesus never resurrected, we don't have hope. If Jesus never resurrected, we can't actually experience lasting change. And why is that? Well, you see, at the beginning of this passage, it's because of the mercy of God. Peter, who wrote this, is basically saying, there's lots of things that you've heard about Jesus. There's lots of things that Jesus did. But the bottom line is at the end, when he died and rose again, that is where it's all held together. And it flows from God's great mercy for us. And really, to, to realize we need mercy is a recognition that, that we have sinned. And sin in the Bible is doing anything wrong, missing the mark. Really, it's rebelling against God. And God made us and He created us. And you think that we want to please the one who made us. But as sin entered the world and we've gone our own way, you find that we actually don't want to please the one that made us. We, we want to please ourselves. And oftentimes, it's the pleasing of ourselves that causes us to need the change because it, it's destructive over time. When we try to please ourselves in our marriage, it's destructive over time. When we try to please ourselves in our parenting, it's destructive over time. If all of our hope is based on pleasing ourselves, you realize that it's, it's empty because we can't quite get enough and do enough to experience what we need because that only comes from God Himself. So through Jesus Christ, He paid the price for our sin. There's nothing we could do to earn it. 
But oftentimes we, we forget that. We try to think through all the things that we can do to make ourselves okay. Yesterday I was, I was at an Easter egg hunt with thousands of people. And as I was watching all these kids in this Easter egg hunt, it, it kind of reminded me of this picture of really of our life state. And if you, if you kind of bear with me in this story here, I'm hoping it will make sense of really what, what Jesus has done. And so in this egg hunt, um, you know, you have lots of kids with, with baskets. And every kid is thinking, how full can I get my basket, right? Every kid is thinking that. And if you're you know, a parent, you're thinking, hopefully they got the cool little mini chocolates they don't want, and then I can eat that too. Come on, admit it, parents. How full can I get the basket? So at this egg hunt yesterday, there was this onslaught of kids. Helicopter came, dropped eggs, and, you know, everyone was just, eggs, eggs. Okay, they didn't chant eggs, but that's what I was feeling inside myself, right? Just like, get the eggs, get the eggs, kids, get the eggs, kids, get the eggs, right? And what happened is, you know, you got kids, you got adults, everyone's running out. And then you have these kids that are coming back just bursting into tears. Why? Because there were no eggs in the basket. And then you got kids bursting into tears because they got an egg, but there's one, and then they open the egg and there's nothing in it. Right? Isn't that, that's like the worst. Right? That's like, all I have is the plastic egg. I want a refund, but it's free. There you go. But that's the picture that we have. In life, we have this thing that we desire, and we, we want to be at this certain place, and we're just like kids, like trying to fill our, our egg basket. And, and we want to change, and we try to pay for our sin by, by filling up the basket. And the way that we try to change from the outside in is oftentimes the very thing that we try to pay for, for our sin. We think if I beat ourselves up enough, I'm going to be okay. And so if you're a kid in Easter egg hunt and you, you didn't get any, you're like, oh man, my strategy was off. If I would have gone before the horn, I could have got the eggs. And so you beat yourself up because it's empty. Or we think, you know what? I've blown it. I have all these people that I've messed. Just my choices and they're mad and there's anger and there's all bitterness. I just need to, I need to get out of here. I need to start afresh. And so we, we change our scenery. It's the same in the egg hunt. It's empty and you think, well, I've got to go to the, this other field over here. And yesterday that was there. It was the field for the one and two-year-olds. And do you know how many kids that didn't get eggs that are like six and seven were thinking... If I could just get on my knees and look young, I can participate. I'm trying to get the eggs. I'm trying to fill the void. No one wants an empty basket. So we do that again and again. There's just, we're just like kids trying to fill our basket with our own good works, with our own good strategies, whether that's the pain or whether that's trying to do better. And what it's like is it's, it's a basket that has no bottom. And we just drop it in and it falls out. We drop it in and it falls out. And there's this emptiness. And God realizes that. There's nothing that we can do to make ourselves right with God. We have blown it. And He's just. And God demands, really, payment for our sin. The fact that we've blown it, that we've missed the mark. But we can't pay for it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. We're not good enough. We're not smart enough. So through Jesus, we actually can connect back to God. 
through the resurrected Christ who conquered death, we actually have hope. And because of His grace and mercy, He has provided a way for us to be okay with Him. We can't provide the way. We can't provide our own strategy. It's only through Jesus Christ. It's because of His great mercy that we, we actually have hope. And in the Scripture there, you see that the description is that He is the living hope. We place our hope in the living hope of Jesus Christ Himself. He's alive. Because He's alive, He actually can change us. Because He is working on our behalf. He's pleading with us to live the life that God wants us to live. And so let's just spend a little bit more time looking at the person of Jesus. Why does He make a difference? If our own way doesn't work, and we can't earn our way back to God, then then what can He do? What you find is, is throughout history, people continue to look for Jesus. He is the hope that we have. And our hope is is based on this Jesus, a real person in history. And so I want to read another scripture that describes this. This is from uh, the book of 1 Corinthians in the scripture. And it's really this, this description of why Jesus has mattered, not only to the people that have seen him, but why Jesus matters for all of us. And this is what it says. 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8 For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for us in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, then He appeared to more than 500 at one time. And so He mentions He appeared to 500 at one time. He's saying this this fact that Jesus rose again, the fact that we celebrate Easter, is not just based on one man saying something or another man. There's this idea of there's a whole group, there's hundreds of people that saw Jesus as personal eyewitnesses to the fact that he was once dead and now he is alive. And then he says, most of whom are still alive. He's saying, you may not believe that this really happened, but there's over 500 people that have witnessed this. Go check with them. He says, most of whom are still alive. Go check with them though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. That's Paul talking. So when we talk about this historical event, the fact that Jesus rose again, you actually can learn so much from it, from the people that actually witnessed it. These are the people that experienced the change. Now as you read this, you think, okay, yeah, Jesus appeared to this group of people. He appeared to 500 people. That's amazing that that happened and you may just kind of brush over that. But what you find is the fact that he resurrected, that was the turning point in each of these people's life. If you look at the person of Cephas there, that's Peter. And before the resurrection, he, he, was, he was a coward. He betrayed Jesus. After the resurrection, he had a power that he had never experienced before and that was through Christ. The apostles, the disciples, they had a power that they'd never experienced before as eyewitnesses to the resurrection. It provided power to the point that these people died for their faith. They were willing to stand and say, Jesus is who he said he was. He is the Messiah. He has risen. 
And they were not willing to denounce it because they had seen it. And the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that they stood on and willing to change the course of their life. Cowards became warriors. Skeptics became believers. People stuck in their rut actually found freedom because of the power that God gives us to change. That's what you find. He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. They were changed. Then Paul goes on, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Paul, as you dig into the scriptures, he was actually somebody who built his life around trying to squelch Christianity, trying to kill Christians. It wasn't until he saw the resurrected Jesus that he actually changed to go from killing Christians to being probably one of the most prominent figures in the spread of Christianity, something has got to change. Something had to happen. To go from an enemy to the person who is willing to die, something changed. And what was it? Well, Paul, as he was on his way, on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared and he realized he had been wrong. He had been persecuting. He had been basically basing lies and saying that this is not real, this is not true, and all of that's fine until Jesus appeared. And his life changed. And because of that, two-thirds of the New Testament, we get this picture of what it means to follow God and to do life Jesus' way. Because Jesus, who has died, rose again, and he appeared to men and women who had never experienced anything like that before because no one had ever done it. No one has ever conquered death. And because of that, it made a difference. And it actually changed history. So when you celebrate Easter, you're celebrating this historical event that has changed the lives of millions of people. And it's not just knowledge, but it's actually something that as we do life God's way and as we follow Jesus, it changes us too. Further on in that passage, we find out more about the power that we have as we believe in the resurrected Christ. We actually find that it's the power and grace of God that brings lasting change. His power and His grace equals change. Not my power, not my works, not my strategies, not my opinions. His grace and His power helps me change. And Paul goes on in in verse 9 and 10. He says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was, was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, within me. There's this picture of some crucial steps and attitudes that, that Paul took. So not only did he believe in the resurrected Christ, and not only did his life change and he actually made a U-turn and decided to live differently, but you find in this passage, he realizes, he was looking back, there's so many things that I've done that I thought made me credible, that thought made, you know, made me successful. There's so many things that I've done through my education, through my experience, through all the people that I've helped, that I should be someone that has done enough to experience the favor of God. 
And he flips it on his head. He meets the risen Jesus and realizes, you know what? It's not about what I've done. It's not about what I've said. It's not about the people that I've known, the success I've achieved. It's about the grace of God. Even though I am who I am. And you may be here and you're like me. You may look back on your life and think, well, I surely I've done enough to be okay. Or you may look back in your life and you think, I've surely done enough that I'm never going to be okay. It's usually extreme. If you're like me, sometimes day to day, you think, oh, I'm, I'm in trouble because I've messed up. There's no hope. And other days you think, no, you know, I think I'm okay because, you know, remember, I was nice to this person and I try to be a nice person. I try to help them. And we just bounce around this, I'm good enough, I'm not good enough, I'm good enough, I'm not good enough. This is what Paul's describing. He's saying that it's the grace of God. I am what I am. All the things that I've done doesn't actually matter. What matters is I live for the resurrected Jesus. And in that, you see that his life was transformed. That's what he goes on to describe in the back. And so the first thing, you see his attitude. His attitude shifts. This is where you find the power to change. His attitude. It went from him being worthy to realizing that I need to be humble. There's nothing I can do to earn God's favor. It's, I'm the least. There's nothing I can do to earn God's favor. So he had an attitude of, of humility. Recognizing that he needs God's help to change. He needs God's help to get him from where he was to where he was today at that point of writing it. The second thing you see is that he points to the grace. It's the grace that changes me. Again, nothing that I have done. And so you see this Paul's account. As I experience the living Jesus, it is his grace that changes me. There's nothing that I can do to earn it. I can't earn his favor. I can't fill my basket with enough eggs. It's empty. So you see this description of, of Paul and describing this. And then you also, through Ian, as he's sharing his story, you see that, that this power was real to him. From kind of going from, you know, God's not real, God doesn't factor in. Well, if God's not real and God doesn't factor in, you get up to this point in your life where there's this void. You have no purpose. And Ian's describing, I didn't have purpose. I had lots of things I was doing, but I was just kind of paddling and not getting anywhere. I wasn't moving forward. I wasn't getting to any goals that I'd wanted. And then when I got to those goals, I realized those goals don't matter. So the power of God changes purpose, changes direction. And ultimately, it provides hope. Because we don't have to be stuck where we are. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. And that's found in the person of Jesus Christ. For me personally, when I became a Christian, there were a lot of things that Jesus did within me as well. Um, one of the things that I had always battled in my life was trying to be good enough. Try to figure out what, what I need to do to be good enough so my parents are proud of me. What do I need to do to be good enough so my friends think I'm cool? What do I need to do to be good enough so the people that I care about see me as somebody that's just this great person. And I really battled this thing of all these things that I wanted to do to, to be good enough, to appear further along than 
I was. And I had tremendous pressure. I had an image problem. I wanted to be who I was not. And as I turned to God through Jesus, I realized that the focus on my own image, the focus on my own just making myself look good, it was so fleeting. Because that's not what matters. The opinions of others doesn't matter. What matters is connecting to the God that actually gives me new reflexes. That I don't have to just worry about pleasing myself. I don't have to focus on trying to be good enough. I have help in God himself as I do life his way. And so there may be a variety of us. We're in different spots today. You may have committed your life to Christ a long time ago and you're living his way. And along the way, though, you realize that you've kind of reverted back to just relying on your own power. You know, in certain relationships, you're actually not asking God for help. You're trying to kind of get it yourself. And so today you may just need to realize, you know, I actually need to turn back to the power of God. Realize it's the grace of God that helps me, not my own works. Or you may be investigating Christianity and the stuff that you've been hearing. Maybe if this is your first time or you've been here a few times, you, you have this thing of, you know, I've been living my life my own way. And Jesus seems intriguing and all this stuff seems nice, but that's, that's just for, for them. And part of your just crossroads where you are is, are you ready to realize that it's the grace of God that you need? It's not success. It's not money. It's the grace of God. Or you may be here and you just think, this, this, isn't, this isn't for real. And you may need just to, to pull in and get around some people that share the difference that Jesus has made in their life. Because what you do is as you begin to find people that have actually decided to live Jesus' way and you see the change in them, it's the change in them that actually brings hope to us. Because we see that they change. Maybe I can change. So I want to encourage you, no matter where you are, it's not too late for you to change. God wants to connect with you. He wants to have a relationship with you. And He ultimately wants to help you. From taking the load off yourself to doing your life your own way to doing life His way. So I want to I want to close out the service by asking you just to take a survey of where you are this morning. And so pull out your connection card that John had you fill out. And as the band comes out, I'm just going to close by having you fill out a survey on the back of the connection card. So if you can finish filling that out in a moment, we're going to receive our offering and you can drop that connection card uh, in there. But there's a spiritual survey, which is basically that this is where I am. And sometimes identifying where you are is the most helpful step to know the next step you can take. So this is a survey where you are in light of your relationship with God. And so you'll see A, B, C, and D. And I'd, I'd like you to circle where you are. This helps me personally. I'd like to pray for you. I'm not going to come knocking on your door. This is just a good sense. This is where I am. And so if you're already a believer, circle A. That stands for already a believer. You've committed your life to Christ and ultimately you're really trying to rely on His power. Uh, there's B, believing today. If you've never committed your life to follow Christ and you realize that you've been trying to do it on your own, believing today means I want to make Jesus the boss of my life. I want Him to call the shots. I want Him to be 
the director of where my life is headed. And so if, if you'd like to make that decision or you're at least interested in what it would mean for you to make him the boss of your life, circle B. And we'll provide you with some information on what that looks like and, and what to do. A C, you could circle that if, if you're considering. You know that there's some things that need to change and you're not sure exactly how to do it, but some of the stuff you've heard, maybe you're considering, maybe this Jesus thing is actually what you've been looking for. You don't know what that means yet, but you're considering. And so circle the letter C. And then the last one is D. And that's, I don't think I'll ever believe. Just be honest with yourself. I just, I'm not at a point where I think that this is right for me. So you may just want to circle that. And there's two other steps that you can take today. And next steps are really a way of you taking what you've learned and living it out this next week. So no matter where you are, if you've circled A, B, C, or D, you could still take a next step. And the, the, the second one is, Ask God to help me change blank. If there's a certain area that you've experienced a lot of pressure or tension and you, you need help, this week, just ask God to help you. Help you change in that specific area. So try to think about it. You probably know. And, and write that in the blank there. And then the last next step is we just want to invite you back to attend the rest of this series. And if you want to hear about more of what you need to do on your end to, to change and cooperate with God. That's what we'll be talking about next week. We, we invite you back. So I'm going to pray. We're going to receive our offering and then you can drop that connection card in there as that comes by. Let's pray together. God, we do celebrate the fact that your son rose from the dead and in him we, we have actually the power that we need to change and to get unstuck. And God, I, I pray that no matter where we are, that we'll really consider you and your power as really the way that we can move from where we are to where we need to be. God, forgive us for trying to earn favor with you. Forgive us for trying to do things our own way. God, we, we desperately need help outside of ourselves. And God, I know that because of Jesus and you sent him out of your love for us, you provided that help. And so we thank you for Jesus. And God, ultimately, we, we ask that you'll help us to take a step from where we are to where you want us to be. So we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.